he lost his arm and i had thought okay as a physical therapist my goal is to get him surgery uh, he'd have his residual limb shaped and then he'd get a prosthetic and then the therapist would work with him and would come back and refit it this whole process was going to take a while obviously and he'd have the prosthesis for the rest of his life so i thought all right now if i'm to give him the money at what point do i say that we have had met success and at what point do i follow how long do i follow this person what is practical in terms of helping him but also the next kid that's going to need it and i realized that the most vulnerable time when i talked to the mum was getting into the hospital hi everyone my name is gayatri mathur i'm the founder and ceo of the sundra foundation and you're listening to the public health insights podcast from phi media i'm gordon thay and this is medical emergencies financial catastrophes and india's hope episode 207 a beacon for healthcare equity in india the sundra foundation this is the final part in a three part series where we wrap up a captivating conversation with gayatri mathur you're listening to the public health insight podcast your go to space for all things public health and global health from the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. Originally from Mumbai, Gayatri found her calling in 2018 when she founded the Sundra Foundation to reach more families in need of financial support for unseen medical emergencies. Even during the challenging times of the pandemic, the foundation continued its crucial work. covering the cost of out-of-pocket medical expenses and providing food rations to targeted families in India. Gayatri talks about the mission of her foundation and the story behind the name Sundra. So our mission is to provide cash grants to India's working poor when they have a medical emergency. Uh, Sundra was my uh, family's uh, housekeeper for me when I was growing up. So she came into our family before I was born actually. I have an older brother so when he was uh, a toddler she came into the home and by the time I got there she was already very much a member of the family and continued to be a member of the family and saw my children even so that was amazing. Uh she passed unfortunately a few years ago but she was um you know a woman from rural Maharashtra which is the state that Mumbai is in and she lost her husband uh, soon after she got married and in those years there was a lot of prejudice and stigma around being a widow and she said forget this i'm not going to subject myself to this life she chose to come to mumbai earn her own living and make a life for herself so which is why she ended up with our family and uh, she was an amazing woman she was funny and uh caring and affectionate she had a ready laugh and really i'm honoring her her memory her love uh with this foundation because that's the demographic that we want to serve today's people who are house help 
who are auto rickshaw drivers, who are vegetable sellers, who are uh, construction day laborers, people who are working poor, who are daily wage earners, who don't have the financial uh, capacity to have any savings, but are working hard, are doing their jobs and serving the rest of us. Uh, so when they have some sort of medical emergency, I want to help them. I want to be there for them. And uh, Sundra is the, the person that I want to honor through this work. The Sundra Foundation is based in Chicago in the U.S. And with the beneficiaries of the foundation's work being in India, Gayatri pulls back the curtain to share how the foundation got off the ground and how it currently operates, partnering with existing networks on the ground in India. As I mentioned, I was a physical therapist and had absolutely no idea. And, uh, you know, I had gotten to the point, obviously, in my career where I was uh, the expert in the room and I had people coming to me to ask for uh, clinical advice on how to deal with problems or patients or whatever. Uh, but I realized that in this area of wanting to do something about the problem, I was a complete novice. Um, I had actually uh, applied and then I got incubated at the University of Chicago's uh, Polsky Exchange. So they had, uh, I think this program stopped during COVID like so many other things, but they had an incubator. And I was the only nonprofit in my cohort. But because I was the only nonprofit, I was surrounded by people who were talking business, were thinking in how in you know best practices ways to set up their business and that really helped me think about best practices before i you know really set up my nonprofit and i realized that instead of reinventing the wheel and having an outfit in india i wanted to utilize the indian ecosystem that exists today there are amazing nonprofits that work on the ground they are there I am in Chicago. I'll never be able to compete or I, not that I want to compete with them. But in fact, I'll never be able to reach the level of expertise as them because they are there 24-7. So I decided that I would help their mission by providing a, a partnership with them to help with this specific issue of healthcare access. So we have a partner, as I said, who's, that's an educational partner. They have schools all over India. And if one of their children falls sick, then their teacher knows that this child is actually sick and can be the point person for the deployment of the entire machinery to get the child to the hospital, get the funds out there for that particular thing. So we don't give money to the family. We give money for the treatment for what the kid or the adult needs. We also uh, work with a blood cancer provider, for example. Uh, when the person comes from all over India, they come to this particular hospital, the doctors determine what is the medical need, the social workers know the financial need, and they have to commit to the treatment. And once those criteria are met, we really decentralize the decision-making. So I appear in Chicago me and my team, we don't have to make the decision. We leave it up to them because they know best how to apply that. Of course, we give them the criteria, but once those criteria are met, they get to deploy the funds in the best way that they need to for the patients. And again, the patients don't receive the money in their hands. They receive the care as a result of the money. 
So I feel that we're helping them with their mission. It also helps us because that's 100% accountable and transparent. We literally know where every single dollar is spent and how every single dollar is spent. So it's about being part of a change system, right? I'm not just on my own because I cannot. Um, Sundra then plugs into these very amazing nonprofits that are already doing this work and lifts their mission too. Because if the mission is to educate a child, if the child is not, the butt is not in the seat, where is the education going to happen? So through the medical issues, through uh, whatever the, the uh, it depends on whatever the partner is working on. It also gives us the ability to work with a variety of different kinds of partners. And then we don't have to worry about coming off the street and trying to take you know our money in in a way that we cannot control. Fundraising and getting money to people in need across international borders is not as easy as it sounds, especially for someone who has not had prior experience running a foundation. There are many considerations that need to be taken into account when money is changing hands, even in the context of a charitable foundation. Obviously, the U.S. and India has anti-terrorism and money laundering laws. So when money is crossing borders, we have to consider all these things. If we work with a big partner, they have to have a license that the Indian government requires. And once they have that license, we also know that A, they have the license, they are allowed to receive the funds. But number two, that they have the accounting infrastructure, the legal infrastructure to receive the funds and account for it. So that solves our problem automatically. So I really spent a lot of time to set this process up in a best practices way, not only in terms of the logistics, but also in terms of the uh, the way we conduct our uh, nonprofit through equitable terms and through terms that we actually bring change at the grassroots level, that we rely on grassroots people. We're not going down there and wagging our finger and saying, you have to do things this way because we are sitting in Chicago. The folks over there know exactly what's going on and we rely on them you know, to, to uh, do things in the best way for, for their best interests, for their clients' best interests or their constituents' best interest. Behind the scenes, there was a lot of thought put into developing the model for the Sundra Foundation. The foundation remained resilient, even in the face of COVID-19, which followed about two years after the launch. So it's really worked out really well, and the validation came during COVID because many nonprofits couldn't work at all. We, on the other hand, had the other problem. We could have given more money if we had had it. We were really short on uh, not being able to do it, but being small at the time, we were able to limit only uh, according to the money that we had. If we had $5 million, we would have given that away too during COVID because that was the um, system that we set up that worked basically on the grassroots level. Throughout our conversation, there's something my mind just kept going back to and something that I need answers to. Of all the different ways charitable organizations can support people, why did she ultimately decide to provide direct cash grants for medical emergencies? So Gayatri, it's really clear how intentional, even the way that you're describing it, with providing direct cash grants for medical emergencies. You talked about other partners on the ground that are doing various things that you wanted not to step on any toes, but 
more of an asset-based approach to the foundation. So walk me through your discovery to landing specifically at providing direct cash grants. Of all the challenges that surround people getting medical care, whether it's transportation and all these different components, how did you land specifically on, I'm just going to focus on providing direct cash grants for medical procedures and medical emergencies? Yeah, there were uh, many inputs into that. As I said, uh, being part of an incubator that thought about best practices was one big aspect of it. Uh, Another aspect was a book that um, I had read. Actually, my uh, son was studying economics at the time at university, and he'd had a class. And uh, this book is called, I think it's called Poor Economics by Abhijit Banerjee and Esther Duflo. That was the textbook in the class. And he had said, this is really a cool book. And I read that from cover to cover, which sounds so idiotic, but it was amazing because uh, I'm not an economist. I didn't even think I would understand it. Um, but I understood every bit of it because it was very research-based. I Myself, I've said to you, I've got a research background. And that showed me that a lot of folks who are in this situation act rationally for, for their situation. So if you are going to help someone, you have to help them for what they need, not what I want to give them. Gayatri illustrates the importance of providing people with assistance in ways that they would find the most beneficial, including ensuring the conditions for people not to delay that first hospital or clinic visit, ensuring that families receive medical care without the looming thought of finances prevents a cascade of events that could impact the individual not only the one that needs a medical help, but the rest of the family for generations to come. So that was a big portion of understanding what does the consumer need? What does this particular person need? And I realized that the story that I told you earlier, when I had my um, mom's maid, whose kid fell sick, that was still in the background. And I started talking to people and I met a kid who was playing cricket and he, in the street, he was playing cricket and he picked up a ball and by mistake touched a live wire. So he lost his arm. And I had thought, okay, as a physical therapist, my goal is to get him, he'd have surgery, obviously. He'd have his residual limb shaped and then he'd get a prosthetic and then the therapist would work with him and would come back and refit it. This whole process was going to take a while, obviously, and he'd have the prosthesis for the rest of his life. So I thought, all right, now, if I'm to give him the money, at what point do I say that we have had met success? And at what point do I follow? How long do I follow this person? What is practical in terms of helping him, but also the next kid that's going to need it? And I realized that the most vulnerable time when I talked to the mom was getting into the hospital. Because if he hadn't had that, none of it would have followed. It also happens, for example, with our our blood cancer patients. They come from all over India. They have almost no money in their pockets. Now, they have come from some rural town a few hundred kilometers away from the center that they're going to. 
and uh, the doctor in their village said oh first he must he would have just given them some medication and two weeks later he still has a fever and he the doctor then does some basic blood work and says oh you have the big sick you'd better go to such and so hospital in such and so big city because they have the solutions there and we can't help you here at all so they've literally reached three or four weeks after their initial diagnosis or initially falling sick they are extremely ill they have no resources and if they are to recover in any way the first thing that they have to do is get into the door and that's what i decided and the re- the other reason of course as i said it's a one two punch you don't have money and you can't get into the hospital but if you get into the hospital and you give money to get in the in the hospital you've also prevented that financial catastrophe so that you don't have to sell a cow you don't have to sell the piece of land so it seemed to me a couple of things number one we could say that we were successful as soon as they got into the hospital the check mark was we got them admitted or got them to see a doctor uh number two it was also a financial problem uh, that was prevented and then you got them into a system so now for example with the blood cancer patient yes they've got their first antibiotic first chemo the local system the local uh, ngos the local social workers they now help these folks get the certification that they need get all the paperwork done it's bought them time so the 250 dollars that we have given them for admission translates for them into $8000 over the course of the year which we don't even give we just gave that first admission money but they get all this money for the rest of the year's treatment accommodation everything that they need because of that small amount of money that we gave and because we got them into the hospital then the local system has the ability to move its wheels and get things going to get resources for those these folks so i thought this is the injection of capital that's going to solve multiple problems it's a small amount of money or relatively small amount of money sometimes it's actually even 25 dollars for just a simple fracture that doesn't need anything else sometimes it's 250 sometimes it's 4 500 bucks usually in blood cancer it varies between 250 and 450 but for a relatively small amount of money you have given this family if it's an earning member and usually there are people who are you know in their early 30s up to their early 30s where they uh, are diagnosed with blood cancer whether it's a mother given her children a whole lifetime of being supported if it's the father that's the income for the whole family so you have a very long impact with this tiny amount of money at the right time and that's how i honed in on that particular problem if that makes sense. What we learned here is not just the immediate impact of what providing cash grants can bring for the health of the person in need, but its overall importance. Let's say a parent or a caregiver delays urgent life-saving medical attention as a result of anticipated financial consequences. If this parent was then to tragically die, this family loses an earner. who contributes to the overall household income. This can set back a family for the rest of their lives and increase the likelihood that even subsequent generations will experience poverty. Gaitri talks about what the typical cost is for someone receiving medical care through the public system and how many families the Sundra Foundation 
helps every year? Yes. Uh, so as I had mentioned, uh, it costs us uh, anywhere between you know twenty five dollars to a thousand dollars. We give uh, fifteen hundred dollars maximum for a patient. And part of that is so that we can give many people that initial money. I'd done a lot of research initially, and if we get them into a public health system, into the public hospital system in India, $1,500 basically pays for pretty much everything. Like I mentioned, the ICU patient, that was actually one of the few that we have given $1,500 to. The other thing that is happening now is that we're getting people with more complicated situations. For example, we have a child who has perhaps spinal cord injury and spina bifida, and it wasn't even diagnosed till he was much older. So there's all kinds of, there were uh, jaundice, people who have jaundice who are very, very ill, or other more complicated situations with serious typhoid, when they need admission, it's not just a case of antibiotics. So we're getting more complicated cases as the situation is getting more understood at the level of the uh, nonprofit that we're working with. Um, but generally, we give a maximum of $1,500. The average amount of money is about $200. The median is probably uh, $300. So there's quite a range in terms of each individual grant. Um, how many families we help? We probably help about 100 families a year right now. Of course, I would love to add a zero to that. That means we're looking for funders, and particularly we're looking for funders who will walk with us, who will think of us as partners and you know, come and help us with our programming, uh, with supporting our uh, nonprofit partners in India. So that's uh, in terms of uh, some of the big numbers that we do. We work with um, some some uh, two or three we work with their nonprofits very regularly and on a regular basis we're receiving uh, their inputs we need help for uh, this problem or the other problem and some are more sporadic so we have about six partners in total and as i said overall we probably help about 100 110 families a, a year as of right now at the beginning of 2024 the Sundra Foundation helps just over 100 families every year. And as you can hear from Gayatri's commitment to the mission in the conversation, she wants to help even more people. But beyond that, she's hoping for something even more. A day where her foundation is no longer needed. Uh, I would love to be able to help more families. I mean, I think that is the bottom line. I would love to service all our partners completely, uh, grow our partnerships. Uh, everything isn't about scale always. Of course, I hope to not need to do this. That's my hope. If you ask me, what do I want in 20 years? I want Sundra Foundation to be redundant. That would really be my goal, that we don't need this help. But till then, yes, the more funding that we can get, the more families that we can help would be the way to move forward. Absolutely. That's great. You're probably the second person I've ever heard say something like that, where if my company or organization or foundation does well enough, we shouldn't be needed anymore. And I think that's a very powerful message, which we'll, we'll end on that note. So thanks, Gayatri, for coming and sharing your insights on what it looks like in India, how the Sundra Foundation is supporting 
medical care for families and a little bit about yourself as well, which we very much appreciate. It was a pleasure to be with you. It was fun to be with you as well. And thank you for the opportunity again. This show was edited by me, Gordon Thane, with additional editing from LaShawn Benedict. Sound design and mixing by myself and LaShawn Benedict. The original music from The Music Room, composed by Tom Fox, licensed from Johnny Harris. The cover art design for our show by LaShawn Benedict. The Public Health Insight Podcast is produced by PHI Media. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.